Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report, week commencing 8th of April 2019. This is my birthday week. I'll be 37 this week. (laughs) No, I won't. Anyway, yes, it is my birthday this week. So, uh, it feels like ages since I've done this report for some reason, so I'm going to start with my old fave, which is uh, wheat. It's, it's kind of seen a little bit of activity from farmers. They've been very busy on the land. There's lots of sugar beet potatoes and whatever jobs they do this time of year going on, and, and everybody seems reasonably happy. Slightly dry, even though there's been diddy bits of rain. But yes, there's there's been a lot happening, and normally you don't see much trade going on. But... Through the trade, there is a a report of several large lumps changing hands. So current value of feed wheat X farm for May is 162. I can't remember what last week's price was, so I think it's about the same. May is going to be a difficult month because of the volume of tonnes in in merchants' books. So I I don't see the market going up in the immediate short term because there is enough wheat to satisfy any demand that comes forward. The fun and games on old crop wheat will occur in July. And I do think the market is quite tight. Uh, Our stores are getting emptied at the moment. The futures that that we tender in November normally get lifted in April, May and June. And we're well over halfway through collections. So in my opinion, that is a slightly bullish sign for the tail end of the year. We shall see. New crop is under a bit of pressure. Uh, Crop looks brilliant. No one can deny that. There's nothing really badly going wrong around the world. Spain has been very dry and there definitely has been some damage to their production. Uh, North Africa is in a similar place. Eastern Europe is is also struggling with, with dryness. North Africa, Spain, definite damage done. Eastern Europe, not yet, but we're watching it carefully. And the floods that occurred in the States, um, yep, they're going to take a bit of time to recede. And, and we believe the corn plantings will be delayed because it's such, we've all seen pictures or you can see pictures of the floods. They're going to take a little time to clear up. So we are still quietly hoping for, stroke watching, for a weather market. So new crop currently November X farm 139, so it slipped below the magical 140. To harvest, delivered store, uh, immediate movement 137. Let's go on to feed barley. There's been a little bit of activity in that. It tried to go up in price. It's kind of pretty dull, dull, boring market. There, there is uh, someone bidding into Great Yarmouth for feed barley at the moment. They're bidding a bit lower than the actual spot market is, but if someone's in that neck of the woods and it's easy to haul there, then probably they'll they'll sell that. Value X Farm, old crop, 130. Again, new crop. I suspect there will be some export activity on it, but currently we would pay 120 delivered for harvest movement. Oilseed rape, 305X for old crop. Listen to the last three weeks. Uh, version of sell it sell it sell it because we're bored with it um i don't see a lot changing on that the excitement on new crop is not in the price change because there hasn't been one it's sort of 300x uh, for harvest but we are friendly to that market there's big reports about 
substantial flea beetle damage that's going to show its ugly head soon. Those little uh, chaps are in there eating the main stem, and the, and the tillers that come to replace are not going to in any way return the same sort of yield. There's also um, uh, the major spat between China and Canada is going to impact us as well. They've, they've banned three people from, from sending canola across to China now, and Canadian canola cannot come into the UK because of the GM issues. So the probability is that the Canadians will plant at least 10% less than they normally do. So we, we, we think that one is still nicely underwritten or is going to remain firm. Okay, so that's the market report for my birthday week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature. This is part one of a two-part interview with David Wright of GR Wright & Sons, who I went to visit at Ponder's End, his lovely mill. David, tell me all about Wright's Flour Mill, please. Right. Okay. Well, um, we're a family business. We've been around since 1865. Great great grandfather started the business, so we're six generations on. And that's the picture of him on the wall. Yeah, he's looking down on us now, going, "What the hell do you think you're doing now?" Yeah. (laughs) Eyes that follow you around the room. He does. Yeah. Podcast boy. (laughs) What the hell's that? (laughs) And we make flour and uh, have done for that 150 years. So we're um, a special mill I would say we've got we've got mainstream products that going to people like Warburton's um, big plant bakeries industrial bakeries mm-hmm. but we also got a number of specialist products as well well make- I know your your specialist home baking flowers that's is that your USP it's one of them I guess yeah we make bread mixes and cake mixes in terms of you know the percentage of the business it's quite small but it you know it's important to us very prominent in the supermarkets isn't it yeah we sell to every supermarket chain which is yeah. Whether people actually read the name of a mill on there is another thing, but it's known as a product. I know that I've got friends who bake your your various flours as various mixes that they swear by. It's a it's a brand that is unique. You're not you're an independent miller, aren't you? Totally independent, family family owned. It's just me and my three children that are uh, involved with the business. So let's let's touch on on a, a question, Ard. You know what's what's happened to the milling industry in you know the last forty years? A large number of independent mills closed or, or merged, or what's going on? Well, I, it's amazing, really, what's happened. If you if you go back before that, say towards the end of the nineteenth century, every town, every village mm. had a mill, and uh, that's the way it was. And then. Joseph Frank, he had his water mill in Hull, decided he was going to extend that out, built big industrial mills. And Ranks basically dominated the milling scene for the next 50 or 60 years. And they were the gentleman millers. And then uh, 
Then Garfield Weston came over in the 60s mm-hmm. and uh, started buying up mills. I think he bought 30 milling companies in 18 months. He came over from Canada, didn't he? came over from Canada. Yeah, mm. He was a baker, but he, mm. he very quickly became a big miller. Mm. And that was an extraordinary time in the 60s. Mm. My father used to say that was the most profitable time. The, the big millers used to hold up prices so that millers made lots of money and um those were the days eh those were the days but uh, and then they could they could have you know they would sell out their uh, their capacity to allied mills it meant that it was easy to sell and then you got the the rise of well some of the independents particularly Whitworth's now which is definitely the number one miller allied mills got rid of all their private trade 12 years ago 15 years ago yeah I remember a call coming in and somebody saying to me, oh, I think Allied is selling their mills to an American business. I said, never. I'll eat my hat if that happens. Right. <laughs> was still it, chomping uh, through. So it's, <laughs> and, and, I mean, so who's left? Whitworth's a, a, a number one. Ranks are in decline. Well, the ranks the right? have just pretty much sold, got rid of all their private trade to Whitworth and come out of the stuff that nobody wants. And uh, and they shut their several of their mills, particularly in Southampton. And it's a big mill down there. That's that's going to have a big impact on on Hampshire and and down that neck of the woods in terms of whether it's right. Be the same sum that we'll come on to in a little while in growing milling wheat, distance to mill. Uh, without that, I just wonder whether they'll suddenly turn to feed wheat and start having future stores. Well, it could. Possibly, I don't know, but I, I know that you know some of the suppliers. We buy wheat, you know, west of London, if you like, you know, mm. from Hampshire and, and that part of the world. So it is possible to bring it round round here. And of course, you've got Haygates in Tring and Northampton. So it, it's, I think, from a flower supply point of view, things will become tighter in the next twelve months. And Allied Mills, where are they now? What's the what? Well, they. They do a bit of private trade, but mostly they've got three mills that are producing flour for their own bakeries. So they're still in the, I guess, the top three or four flour milling companies in the country. And ADM is the Same, is the American yeah. firm that bought the Allied Mills. Bought all the Allied Mills, yeah. Yeah. But when you think of Whitworth now, they've they've bought Smiths, yeah. bought Cars, bought quite a bit of Bowman's, mm-hmm. you know, big flour mills that have gone towards Whitworth in the last few years. Uh, they are an incredible size. And, mm. of course, you know, with lots of money and lots of ambition, there's only one trajectory, really, isn't there? Yeah, indeed. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much for the independent, as you know. So um, let's, let's, let's just hope that you, you have your niche within there that, uh, that keeps shining brightly. I want to have a really honest debate about the relationship between the merchant, the miller, the farmer, because... We 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 know known each other a long time. Haven't done that much trade because I spend my entire time telling my customer base, famously, not to grow milling wheat. What 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 was the version you heard when we first met? I think I think we were at Carrow Road, weren't we? And <laughs> <laughs> Norwich were playing Sunderland, and I I think you said to me. I, I tell all my my farmers not to grow milling wheat. What do you do for a living? I'm a miller. <laughs> Something along those yeah, lines. I have a long history of two feet. Uh, let's jump in early. Yeah. We obviously want to encourage people to grow milling wheat. Uh, if it's not group ones, it's group twos or threes, particularly threes as well. 
Um, so, so I, the, I think that the thing I'm trying to get to in this is that the, the dynamic of when I was um, first in the industry in Norfolk, Reed's Flour Mill in Norwich existed, and Cranfield's at Ipswich, and RHM at Felixstowe. So if you grew milling wheat, you know, if you had the later planting slot, so the yield difference wasn't going to impact you, you could aim at a premium and you could get reward for it without too much risk. It could go to Norwich, and if it got rejected, you weren't too far away. It wasn't such mm. a big issue. Once all of those mills closed, some of our farms are over 100 miles from a flour mill. And the basic sum says that haulage to a flour mill is going to be £11. Haulage to a local consumer is going to be £6. So £5 of the premium goes missing if you're in a, an isolated location. So my argument is based upon plain maths for the farmer and risk. It doesn't. It never has gone down well with millers, but it's the right answer for a per, very parochial part of the country. It obviously is a completely different sum for someone on heavy clays in Essex. Well, I mean, there is a premium to growing milling wheat. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, what is it? For us, it's about £24 a tonne. Mm-hmm. And I think probably, I'm not a farmer, I don't know, but the, the, the yields that you can get with milling wheat have, have increased considerably over recent years if we've got bread better wheat uh, that more susceptible to yield so you've got an opportunity to grow milling wheat and still have the yield that it's about the difference between the highest yielding feed wheat and the highest and the highest yielding milling wheat the milling wheats have come a lot closer you're right um, so that sum has, has, has promoted a very large tonnage of milling wheat which for a period has, has, has actually eaten into the premium. The premium's gone up to 24 this year, but it was at a lower level. Yes. Because well, I mean, premiums are going up and down. We've seen premiums at £50 a tonne in the past, in, mm. in recent years. Absolutely. And as low as a few pounds. So it's it's the same as the wheat price. It kind of it's, it's, it goes up and down. But I think there's a lot of farmers who grow wheat for us who love growing quality wheat, and uh, take a pride in it. They like to see their wheat in our products um, and know that it's going to a good home. We've got a good relationship with the merchants that we deal with. And, you know, it kind of works. Um, No, listen, there is definitely, in the future, um, that people who can identify specifically with a product. I mean, you have a a flower that you have a grower from Essex, I understand, who specifically has his name on the bag. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. How did he earn that? Well, he's always been a good supplier to us, Benton's, um, and they grow fantastic milling wheat. They they grow the varieties that we like. We've, We've known them a long time. They're a lovely family. And uh, we like dealing with them, and um, we do deal with Benton's Direct, but that's the only one we do deal yeah, with. There's a relationship that evolved because they sat and they listened to you and went, I want to do this for you, and you said, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and kept growing milling wheat in years when perhaps it wasn't the, the greatest thing to do. Yeah, and I think also, you know, there, there is a, kind of, there was a market, really, for that unique provenance of where people buy a bag of flour and they know actually which farm it's come from so we're 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 working on a project ourselves aren't we we're um holcomb estate and yourselves uh, are having a a small tonnage of uh, crusoe being grown uh, last year this year coming um, where we're working on exactly that We, we we see great value in it and the farm definitely sees great value in having an identity with its end product 
Are you happy with how that's going? Yeah, it's going slowly, but it, it's going really well. And it proves that you can grow milling wheat in Norfolk. <laughs> Good quality, because it was, you know, it was coming at 13%. All the, all the boxes were ticked. Superb quality wheat. And if we could, you know, do something along the lines that we've done with Benton's, well, that would be brilliant, I think. Absolutely. But by the way, David is actually an adopted son of Norfolk because when he, when he escapes the smog of, uh, of inside the M25, the place he, he runs to every weekend is Norfolk, isn't it? it absolutely. Holt, yeah, I love it there. And, um, an adopted Canaries fan? No. <laughs> no, so Norfolk is, is a place that you come yes, and escape? absolutely. That's where I'm probably going to end up after I hang my milling boots up. Brilliant. I, I want to ask that, that we'll go back to the stony subject of, of the relationship between that. You know, it, within this industry, everyone everyone thinks everyone else is making all the money, and it's all right for them. That's that's the way it works. Um, and I think a really important subject is claims, because it's the when a farmer aspires to achieve a price, he's bid a price for milling wheat, and he's paid one hundred and eighty pounds, let's say, and so in his head, he's going to get one hundred and eighty pounds. Off goes the load. And it turns up at the mill, and there's there's a number of things that could be wrong with it. So I want to ask you, if you don't mind. So the protein is two points down. What does that? Why do you claim? Well, I think with protein is money, basically, mm-hmm. and we buy to a specification. The minimum specification is thirteen. Um, I mean, I have to say that we give the wheat a lot of chance before we would make the claim. We would respear, we would keep checking, yeah. we would take the highest protein that we could find. David, you have a good reputation for being fair. It's just the, the question is... Yes, what, well, I what, think the, the, it, the, the, the issue really is that if, uh, if the protein is lower, we have to replace that protein uh, with dry gluten. That dry gluten is what, currently £1,200 a tonne. Yeah. We have to add that to the flour to bring up the protein. Our customers want a required protein content, which we have to match their specification, and that is a cost. And that one pound ton, uh, one pound a point, um, is 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 a cost, the cost of the of the replacing the protein. Okay, that that's that's the answer. That you know, yeah. it's it's oh, he's taking money off me. Is no, you're not. You are having to pay for something to replace that protein, which is a lot more money than the wheat. Sure. So, but I do also think, you know, we don't want to make claims. We want the wheat to come in correctly. Yeah, I, I, and I, actually, when you when you look at uh, at our track record, the, it, it we don't make that many claims. And um, I, I asked the guys yesterday, well, how many rejections have we had this year? Zero. No rejections this year because we don't want to put vehicles back onto the road. Um, you know, unnecessarily. If we can use the product, we will. As far as claims go, it's pretty minimal because our suppliers, our merchants, know what we want and they make sure that it's right when it comes in um, so that we don't have this haggling about moisture. About uh, I think it's it, the haggling is... You, you, if, you're, if you're a good merchant, you've done all of that. You aren't going to send something that's borderline. Whoever the merchant is, they have to be capable of, of supplying ideally 100% every load gets tipped that's the starting place yes. my next question Hagberg well Hagberg has a serious uh, quality effect on flour particularly if it, it gets sort of below the 250 mark or the 180 on, on group threes mm. so nine out of ten years 
you never have a hagberg claim mm. if you've got a particularly bad wet harvest then there will be poor hagbergs around how do you replace that do you have to blend in much more expensive wheats you can't really no it's very difficult to deal with hagberg and um, out of all the tests we do that's the one we can't really deal with very well so we want the hagberg absolutely right i mean it, it from in a bad year we could probably shift the spec from 250 to 220 but you don't really want to do that if we can help it do you, so you think that the if you remember do you remember Camberwick green on telly yes do you remember <laughs> do you remember windy miller yes do you think it's unfair that when they used to sing windy miller windy miller sharper than a thorn <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, no, that's, like, that's the song, and I thought, why do they used to think that? That must have been the claims on intake. But now we know. <laughs> now we know the reasons for them. I think everyone should be a little bit more at peace with it. Is my point? Oh, yeah, hopefully they will be. There is the occasional from left field question, David, just, yeah. just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> I think on the on this at this moment, if you forgive me, I'm going to say we're going to do this in a two part because this is going so well. I'm enjoying this so much. Our thanks to David. Make sure you catch part two next week. And now it's time for Farm Chat. I've just driven all the way back from Cambridge to get for this recording, so I'm, I'm fresh and I'm ready to go. All these ideas buzzing around my head, Webby. So um, look fresh, out. Is fresh the word, Andrew? <laughs> Uh, just so the uh, the listeners are aware, you um, you partook in the BFBI dinner last night, didn't BFBI, you? BFBI, yeah, yeah. which we all know is the brewing, food and beverage industry. So lots of people give you free beer. Yeah, and it's a glamorous social, isn't it? It is a it's in one of the halls in Cambridge, isn't it? Robinson's is that right? College, yes. We all pretend we're students. Cool venue. Sample some good beers, some whiskies on the table, isn't it? If you wanted to have whiskies, yeah. yeah. If you're that way inclined. When you're a certain age, you have to be more considered and stick to the spring water <laughs> with your whiskey. <laughs> well, we'll get into this in a minute. Let's, I tell you what, let's, let's taste a beer now, I'll, reluctantly, yes. Yeah. So, so let's do the official opening online. So what have we got? We have got Shipyard American IPA, which I've never seen it before, but yeah, looks like it will tick a box. So Who brews that? We'll look at that when you've... Made yeah, it all look at that. covered in head, so we can't get anywhere near the beer for at least a minute. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Yay! <Thank you>. <laughs> <coughs> Shocking, Paul. So um, it is, yeah, Shipyard American IPA. I don't know which uh, brewery. Oh, it's a Marston's Brewery. Of course, so, it is. yeah, Marston's a beer we love. So uh, yeah, it looks looks nice. So I'll give it a go. I can't get through the head you just bought on the You're trying to pretend you can get to the beer. Bigger head makes it, makes it taste better, Andrew, apparently, according to the... Well, Ben and I were talking about the other yeah, day. Yeah, no, that, so. that was on that programme on TV, wasn't it, about beer making? And they said that it, it has to have a head to bring the aromas out. Bring the aromas out. Yeah, no, it's a nice beer. So it's quite a light summer summer beer. If I could take it, if this was a, 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 a TV podcast, it, you'd see... What I'm fighting with. I think you're just it. looking over that look of dread because you uh, overdid it last night. Here we but, go. Yeah, hair of the dog. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. We're having a picture taken. We'll put it on Twitter. Webby's attempt the at master, pouring a good... <laughs> masterful pour. 
Right. What do you what do you think about the dinner then? I, I, we'll talk about a bit of trade chat. What was the mood? What was the sentiment? What what, well, what I, did I'm, you get from it? I'm, di- I'm dinnered out. I mean, we, Ollie and I were in uh, Warsaw last week, which is the biannual malting barley brewing get together that's held all over Europe. Is that a, so? It's a European one, not a global. Yeah, one. Yeah, one of the, there's, it's global. I mean, there's, there was you know all, all sorts there. Big hitters. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I met the head of Heineken. Told him I, I didn't had, like. <laughs> yeah, I heard this one. You told him you didn't like Heineken, didn't you? <clears throat> he didn't mind. He didn't. He didn't think the sales to me would would affect the fact they're the biggest biggest seller of beer in the. I'd in love the, to know if that was his first choice of beer. Probably not. Well, I, I you know, I think it's a good argument for for craft ales and things like this shipyard. You know, that's my sort of beer. Whereas his is Eurofizz, as my little brother calls it, and he's right. It's kind of yellow and. Yeah. I mean, it actually tastes better in. On the continent, that does in the UK, it's brewed over here to their recipe, but it isn't the same. So I don't know. It's it's maybe it's just psychological, but it's just probably boring. Yeah. Anyway, um, this shipyard's good. Yeah, I think yeah. The dinners. I mean, if you go if you go to a, if you go to a brewer's dinner and you supply a base product to them, there's a kind of moment where you have to go, oh no, I couldn't possibly drink that. It's bad for me. You have to go, yeah, well, lovely, I'll have some of that, because it's, you know, that's what you're Part selling. Part of the process, isn't it? Yeah. It's great, yeah. We're doing this for the farmer, aren't we? with brands and, and <clears throat> products. It's, yeah, it's lovely. Exactly. We have to drink yep. beer because the farmer grows malting barley, and they need to believe that, that we love it. And, yes, yeah, it's, a, it's mm. a task some of us have to fulfil mm. to actually go there and drink these free beers. So bits. tough. That is so tough, Andrew. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but last night they, <clears throat> at the BFBI dinner, the Cambridge one last night, the food is amazing. That really is good. So you know the the, the pounds are, are, are piling on, but it's paired with beers. So you have you have a we had a, a sort of simple hoe garden sort of lager for starters, okay. which is reasonably punchy. Yeah. Then there was a couple of really hefty dark stouts oh, to stouts? go with a, a lamb okay. dish and stuff like that. It just gets a bit too yeah. chewy, if you like. Yeah. There's, a, there's a point at which you want stouts something a bit... are quite heavy. They're full on beer. Pairing beer with food is a bit of a trendy thing to do. It kind of works, but I think you have to keep it fresh. You can't go down the route of thick, chocolatey stouts because you're competing with the chocolate pudding then, aren't you? And then, then they really, <laughs> <laughs> get a bit confused. Like treacle. Yeah. 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 So you then have to clear it up with having a scotch to, because that's free as well. You go to a dinner and you have a whole lot of people that probably most of them you saw last week. The timing wasn't immaculate because obviously the same the types who are going to be at it. And a load of seed people. I was kindly invited by Syngenta and I was really well looked after. It was really, you know, great and a, a lovely, Im- impressive evening. But there's a, there's a kind of what depression in the industry. Yeah, I think, oh, it certainly feels it at the moment, isn't it? It's very, um, there's no sort of buzz around, is there? Well, there's lots of Quite announcements flat. going on. I mean, you know, th- th- this isn't directly relevant to farmers they don't really give that much of a damn about who, who the buyers are but Baird's and Saxon are part of a major group called Grain Corp and there was a little subtle movement yesterday where the two businesses were split apart in a sense and that Baird's are a part of the now Grain Corp malting division and Saxon are part of the Grain Corp trading division both massively big businesses yeah, huge, yeah. yeah. but the relationship of UK procurer to an actual user in the UK within the same group would make more sense. So it would have made them happier, I think, if they were put with the malting division. But they haven't been. They're put with the trading division. And they've got this very clean-cut, you know, 35-year-old, blue-eyed, Aussie, grain core through and through, believe every word, bloke to come over and sort them all out and make them all clones. 
which is great, but you've got a whole load of guys who set Saxon up originally, four of them, the directors, who created a business that's been incredibly profitable. Yeah, yeah. And they've been profitable because they've been allowed to be individual, think outside the box, do their own thing, and it's worked. Now what's happened, or what, what I suspect will happen, is you're going to kind of dumb it down, the old, the old corporateness. It's a danger. danger, corporateness is well, something we sort of try to keep away from. It's inevitable, slightly, hmm. but we'd like to think we differentiate ourselves from the corporate sort of uh, monster. Don't always think it's the way, the way to go. Corporateness is, is the word, and certainly within in the industry in Warsaw, there was a whole load of, of those types there. They're very clean and tidy and clean. I've had this conversation before, clean fingernails. There's a whole lot of things they aren't allowed to do or have an opinion on or say out loud, and, and there's one particular firm who've got, uh, you know, th- 34 pages of emails about what colour their uh, their logo can be. <laughs> and, and when you get to that level of minute, it's kind of a little bit too restricting, I think. Yeah. And you, you're going to subdue original thought. You're going to push people who are used to being a little bit individual into just being demotivated mm. so i see it as an opportunity for small businesses but i see it as a there's a cloud of depression i think mainly through to that you know we've had fenway go we've had cleddles become annexed by adm we've now got bears doing a separation thing and there's talk of another of another merger in the background which is which there is, is yeah, ongoing yeah. we've got lots of changes mm. going on but the uh, dinners have have been a bit flat but we I mean, we can probably talk about it now, but we're trying to shake up the Norfolk dinner, aren't we? Now that we're having an involvement with, with Julian, who featured the other week at, um, on our podcast, but yeah, we're having a big involvement with the Norfolk, what's it, the Norfolk Institute of Agricultural Merchants dinner, which is every January. Yeah, the Norfolk Institute Agricultural Merchants. There are only three official, real McCoy Norfolk merchants. Bannams, Adams, and Howling, and Doings. And us, yeah. So we're going to call it the bad dinner. <laughs> no, we're not. We're going to still call it the Norfolk Institute of Agricultural Merchants. And, um, yeah, we, we've, we're going to grab hold of it. We've, we've already got the venue booked. We've changed it to the, the open the building open, yeah. in Norwich, which is the original Gurney Bank building, which yeah. to the, the rest of the population... It's imposing. It's quite a cool venue, I think. The original Barclays Bank. Yeah. So that's where it all started. And so it's an imposing building. It's right smack in the middle of the city, next to the castle, near the cathedral. It, the, you know, it makes Norwich look a lot more appealing than the Mercure yeah, that we... Mercure Hotel. <laughs> which yeah, for 50 years... The grain traders took the mickey out of Norfolk mercilessly because it's just such a such a terrible advert for Norfolk. So just I think it'd be an awesome dinner. I think we've got a lot of good, exciting plans for it. And so any any of the guys, boys, there's plenty of you listening to this. Yeah, please get involved because love love to see. You. Hopefully, we'll push the numbers up and and make a real thing of it this year. Absolutely, and and it, the timing of that dinner is actually important. It's the first meeting after Christmas. It's the first dinner that comes after harvest because there's the bourse in December. So yeah, we're 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 going to try and give it a bit of life. And we, we've got the other guys. You know, the, the Norfolk guys, Bannams and and Adams and Harley are going to join in with us. Uh, Julian Scott, who's who who carried the Pretty dinner last year for the first yeah, time, yeah. he's come along to us as well. But we're going to try and make it a bit of a celebration of Norfolk and have some of our local beers there and just just make it a bit more dynamic and a bit more exciting. And the young people, if they want to go out afterwards, there's there's a whole load more options. It's a few venues just on the doorstep, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Us old codgers can. Uh, Gonzo's go. Tea Room just round the corner. It's a bit <laughs> trendy. It's got a very cool vibe. I think it's probably. Is it too cool for you, Andrew? Is it too? Cool? Is it too? Cool? Yeah, I can't remember ever being in there, Ian. <laughs> 
that you introduced us to it, didn't you? Actually, recently. <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Talk, uh, talking about venues, actually, you, um, I was hearing from Ollie because you, you guys got quite stuck in in Warsaw, <laughs> didn't you? You had a few beers. And apparently, you had a bit of a session drinking out of Stein glasses. What are they, two and a half, two and a half pinters? Yeah, it's a, it's a liter, isn't it? Um, two point two pints in a liter, yeah. as you know. Yeah, no, we, we went into a very run-down looking building and, and the, the, it was a superb restaurant. It was just unbelievably good food. And, and Ollie, when he ordered the beer, said, a large beer. So it's got <laughs> four, four litres for the, for the four of us. And then the other guy, oh, yeah. And she, said, and, and, and she said in a very endearing little Polish-type way, would you like some of our lemon vodka? And <clears throat> Can't refuse that, can you? Well, Mike Dagg from Simpsons was with us and he went... All right, dear. <laughs> so we had them, and then uh, and it just degenerated from there. Really, I did it got a bit of a mess. But again, I was taking one for the team, wasn't I? It's all part of the uh, yeah network, isn't it? Promoting malting Sorry. barley to the, the malster and the brewer, and the things I do for you lot. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 